All right, we're in John chapter 11. So if you have your Bible, turn to John chapter 11. We are studying together the, the, uh, and considering together the seven I am's that Je- of Jesus that John records for us in his gospel, uh, where Jesus speaks about who he is and, and who he needs to be in our life. And tonight we move to the 11th chapter here, and in this chapter Jesus is going to proclaim that he says, I am the resurrection and the life. Now what does that mean to us? make any difference at all to us. Well, I hope it does. I hope it makes all the difference in the world to us. And I remind you that that Paul, later on in in his epistle to the church at Corinth, uh, that he said, if Jesus Christ is not risen from the dead, then our faith is empty, meaningless, and it's actually dead. It means nothing. So, uh, and he he said, he actually said, we're we're to be the people most pitied. Uh, that, that we would believe in a, in a Messiah that could not overcome death, could not overcome sin, that did not rise from the dead. So it means everything that Jesus Christ is the resurrection and the life. And uh, it's unfortunate that there are, there are movements in, in churches today to, to diminish the, the uh, importance of some fundamental doctrines of our faith. It is, it is the basis of our faith. Some would say, well, the cross is the basis of the faith. And I understand that. I understand that the cross uh, needed to happen and Jesus needed to die on the cross. But I always remind people on that same day, two other guys died. But three days later, only one guy came out of the grave. So, uh, yes, the cross had to happen. And yes, Jesus had to be the one on the cross because nobody else could pay that price for our sin. But the confirmation of what he did on the cross, that, that God the Father accepted his sacrifice on the cross, happened on that first resurrection Sunday morning. So, amen. That's, that's, that's the guarantee that everything he taught about himself, everything he said about himself, everything the prophets ever said about him, what he came to do, he did. And, uh, and God has accepted that. So as we talked about this morning, you and I can, can know the assurance of our salvation because Jesus Christ has risen from the dead. So, in the Gospel of John, though, we have the the time prior. This is actually prior to his crucifixion, here in the 11th chapter. And what has happened is, someone that Jesus dearly loves has died. His name was Lazarus. And uh, uh, Jesus was told about this, and Jesus delayed getting to where Lazarus was. And, uh, you know, I say that, but I want to remind you, God never delays anything. God is always right on time. So he, you know, he, Jesus came at the exact right time for him to be there. And, and we see, we'll see that as we look at this. So let's start with uh, verse 11 and we'll read t- tonight through verse, tw- uh, excuse me, verse 17 and we'll read tonight through verse 27 of chapter 11. So, so, so when Jesus came, he found that he had already been in the tomb four days. What does that affirm? He's dead. He's dead. There's no doubt. About it. I mean, you could say, well, when he died, he died. But there's an affirmation. No one can say something like, well, he wasn't really dead. Okay. For four days, he had been in the tomb. Now, Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles away. Some translations will actually say a Sabbath, uh, a Sabbath distance away. What, and that would, would be what they're allowed to walk on the Sabbath, how many steps. Um, and many of the Jews had joined the women around Martha. Uh, and, and Mary to comfort them concerning their brother. Then Martha, as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming, went and met him. But Mary was sitting in the house. Now Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, 
your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? And she said to him, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who has come into the world. It's a great statement of faith on her part. But I want to go back to the beginning of our passage here, before we get to the part we talk about Jesus being the resurrection and the life, and deal with the reality of our existence. And one of the parts of the reality of our existence is death. We know what the Bible teaches us, how death entered into the human experience. Uh, Adam and Eve were created by God. They were created in perfection. They lived in perfection. Um, if sin would have never entered in, they would have never died. It really is quite that simple. Now, if some people don't believe that, well, that becomes their problem, not mine. So, God created them for fellowship with Him. And I think in the garden intending for that to be, and again, not by, God wasn't taken by surprise, but the intent was that they would walk with him forever. Now, that's important because my point is that God never changed the intent for why he made humanity. He made us for himself. We were created by God for God. And not for just a moment or an instant, and certainly not for just a religious experience, but for eternity, to walk with him and to know him for eternity. Sin entered in. Sin caused death. That death separated us from God. Initially, spiritually, it separated us from God. Where man who walked once in perfect fellowship and relationship with God, where, can you imagine being Adam walking in the cool of the evening and just talking to God, almost, you know, kind of like a face-to-face -face type of thing, and, and, and then sin just destroyed that. And through the years, you know, I'm one, I don't know how you guys believe, I, I, I believe through the years we see the, the how man has not evolved, but man has actually devolved. I mean, the sin, is, sin, sin has taken its toll in every subsequent generation since the original sin. We're not better. I, you know, when I think about Adam and Eve, you know I think about? These are two perfect human beings. They're not only perfect spiritually initially because they were, they, they were created in the image of God, and, but, but they, were, they were perfect emotionally. They were perfect intellectually. How many of you could name all the animals and name all the stars? You know, think about that. And they were perfect physically. Physically perfect. They knew no disease. Their body had no, no breakdown in it. it, it I don't know, I'm not even sure how age worked, but, but we have some indication of how age worked because even after the fall we have people that live some over 900 years. That's kind of incredible when you think about it. So we know that aging was completely different than it is now. So God created them in that way. But sin entered in, as I said, and sin caused death. Spiritual death initially and ultimately led to physical death. And Apart from God's redemption, and apart from God's grace, it led to eternal death. The Bible says that we are all born into sin. It is, it is our state. It is our condition. We are born actually apart from God. And the only remedy for our sin is Jesus Christ. Right? And people always worry about the Old Testament people. Well, God took care of them too. The same Jesus that died for us died for them. 
Okay, In their existence, it was something they were looking forward to. In our existence, something we look back to. But as I said this morning, in God's eyes, when, was, when did Jesus Christ become the Lamb of God who took away the sin of the world? Before creation itself. So, sin has caused this thing called death. And death is mankind's greatest fear. It really is. And it is also mankind's greatest enemy. God puts something in us, and I've seen it far too often, even people who seem to be ready to go, that God has put something in, in us as human beings that we hang on to life. Something within us and in, in our makeup that, that life is important to us. That's a very callous person who can get to the place where life no longer is important to them. I did a memorial service for a 91-year-old man on Saturday, yesterday. And uh, incredible man, servant of God. And when I visited him at his hospice, you know, he said to me, Pastor, those two guys just about caught up with me. I'm going to meet him just a couple of days. I said, well, who's those two guys? He said, goodness and mercy. Because of Psalm 23, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. He said, well, they finally caught up to me. And Garth was quite, was quite the man. But after having that memorial service, here, here's what life is to, to people, I think, who have the heart of God. Some former members came up and they said, would you pray for our granddaughter? I said, yes, what's her name? By the way, you can pray for her too. Her name is Valerie. So I said, well, let's pray for her right now, but tell me what's going on. I said, Tony, um, Valerie will have a baby in December. But the baby has no brain. And they said, every doctor said you need to abort the baby. And she told the doctors, that life is in God's hands and she will carry her baby and she'll see her baby for a couple hours and, the, and then after that the baby will not, will not survive according to the doctors but I prayed with the, those grandparents as they wept before God and I, wanted to, I was crying with them and, and then I said to them Valerie doesn't know me from anybody but if you ever get the opportunity to tell her you tell Valerie that she be, just became one of my greatest heroes because it would be so easy to say, and I, it, it amazed me. It amazed me that the kind of faith and the, again, life. And they said after we prayed, Valerie's not past believing that God can heal still. I said, hey, that's okay. Doctors have been wrong before. So, death, we fight it with every fiber of our being because God Himself created us and put something within us that, that we desire life. But death is something that we fear as human beings. We haven't been there before, right? And it is, the Bible says, our last enemy. Let me, let me share with you a couple of scriptures about death. First, go to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And this is what we, what we refer to as the resurrection chapter, if you will. Paul's dissertation on, on the importance of, of the resurrection. And here's what he says as a result of the fact that Jesus Christ is the resurrection life. As we deal with death the same way that Mary and Martha had to deal with death. Here's, here's what he said. Look at verse 26. It says that the last enemy that will be destroyed is what? Death. The last enemy that will be destroyed is death. So that which is an enemy to us is death. We weren't created to die. That may be hard for us to comprehend. We were created by God, for God, to live with Him forever. 
But death has entered in, and death has become our enemy. But the promise of God in Christ Jesus, because Jesus Christ is the resurrection and the life, is that that last enemy of, our, of us, death, it will be destroyed. Then we go down in the same chapter and go to verse 55. And look at what he says there. Actually, the end of 54. When he talks about what's waiting for us because... Jesus Christ rose from the dead, and we too shall rise. Look what it says. Death is swallowed up in victory. Amen? Then he says this. O death, where is your sting? O Hades, where is your victory? The sting of death is the law. The strength of, the sin, of, the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. It's a promise that we have. Though death is our last enemy, we have the promise of victory over death because Jesus Christ has won the victory over death. Again, if Jesus Christ did not rise from the dead, if he's not the resurrection life, how could he possibly promise you eternal life? And the answer is he couldn't. He could not promise you and I that which he could not do for himself. But he did. And so we have the promise of victory over death. One other verse. Go all the way to the end of the Bible to Revelation chapter 20. And look at verse 14 with me. And here's, here is the destination of death. If you've never heard, read, read this before. It says, Then death and Hades were cast in the lake of fire, and this is the second death. That which is in the lake of fire is gone. There's a time when death will be no more. There's a time when Hades, which is the, if you will, the place where the, un, the, the unbelieving dead uh, reside until the time that they will stand before the great white throne. And they'll have their, they'll have their judgment day. And you know, if you read this whole passage, what you'll find out is that it'll say that they will be judged according to their works. And the reason it says that is it's the only thing they can be, that's the only thing they have. They'll come there and they'll say, here are my works, and, and you know, we all already know that their works won't stand up. So the judgment will be eternity separated from God, cast in a lake of fire. For we Christians, if you read the scripture, you'll find out that Paul says, we're not judged according to our works. Because we're judged, our judgment is done. Romans 8, 1, there is no condemnation to those who are in Christ. That judgment is done. But what it, you say, but pastor, aren't, don't we stand before a judgment? Yes, we do. The judgment seat of Christ. We're not judged according to the works, but our works are judged. And that which stands up will be gained for eternity. That which does not stand up will be burned, it says, as the wood, the hay, and the stubble. Two different places. I had this one guy tell me, he, he professed in Christian, he said, well, I'll just stand before the great white throne and, and uh, you know, Professed Jesus, and I said, "I said, brother, you got you got your uh, your you got your judgment mixed up. You read it. There's nobody that walks away from the great white throne. We don't stand before the great white throne. We don't stand where our where where we're judged according to our works. That judgment is done. Everybody who stands before the great white throne will have their day, but the, at the end of that day, they will be cast in the lake of fire." I believe it's on that day that they will make that great confession. Everybody will make the same confession. Every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Everybody who's ever existed. Even the ones who say, I'll never do that. They will. They will. So, 
For we who are Christians, we still will have to experience physical death. Except maybe the rapture. Wouldn't that be cool? Wouldn't you love to just sort of launch one day, you know, very quickly? But if that doesn't happen, we will experience physical death. For us, death is stepping through. It's because on the other side of physical life, we enter into eternal life. And life there will be so much greater than anything we've ever experienced here if the Bible's true. And it is. Because the one who will meet us on that other side, or the one who will meet us at the doorway of death, if we want to put it that way, is Jesus himself. I will come again and I will receive you unto myself that where you are, that, excuse me, that where I am you may be also. It's Jesus who meets us. It's Jesus who walks through that valley of the shadow with us. It's Jesus who is there for us. Because it is Jesus, and only Jesus, who can guarantee us everlasting life because Jesus Christ is the resurrection and the life. Amen? Amen. So that's the, promise that, that's the promise that we have. So in the scenario back here, back in, in John chapter 11, this family, has, death has invaded this family. They are overwhelmed with death. They are weeping. And, and, and I, I, uh, it looks like to me in, in verse 19 that they had their, well, I don't know if I want to put it this way, but it seemed like they had their, their uh, uh, special weepers that went around to wherever, whoever lost somebody. The, the weeping group, I don't know. When I was pastoring my first church in Tucson, it was, it was a really an older church and, and we had a lot of funerals and stuff. And we had our funeral game. They were at every funeral. They didn't have to know who it was there. They were always sitting where they sat, and they were always there ministering to the family and stuff like that. And if you sat with them, it kind of got kind of strange. Didn't they look natural? In my mind, I'm saying, no, they didn't. You know, or, or how beautiful is that casket? In my mind, who cares? You know, it's going in the ground. But uh, anyways, but... Uh, they were, you can see that death had invaded this family and the community was involved with Mary and Martha. And you can see the overwhelming sense of sadness and dread that hits when death comes. Some people say, is it wrong for a Christian who, whose life has been invaded by death to mourn? And it's not wrong. We, don't, we, we certainly should not mourn for where our brother and sister in Christ is going. But at the same time, we mourn for our loss. And we mourn for our separation. And it's right to mourn. I think it's right to mourn. And by the way, let me just throw this out to you. Nobody can tell you how you ought to mourn. How long you ought to mourn. What it ought to look like. And, and please don't tell other people that. You know, some, I've, I've seen people tell people about, about three minutes. You know, you really ought to be getting over this about now. Isn't that a wonderful way? You know. Or someone does not, someone does not weep. While the rest of the family is weeping. And someone just sits there very stoically. And says, well... They must not really care. But you don't know that. You can be very careful. Everybody's a little bit different. And everybody mourns a little bit different. But there is a time to mourn. And loss is a time to mourn. Even though we know within every fiber of our being that the day will come that we will be with that person again and we will have that, that reunion in that place that God has for us. Again, we cherish life because we are made in the image of God and because, because we belong to God. We love life. I hope that's true of you. I hope you love life. You know, and, 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 and I think we ought, to, we, ought to be, we ought to be champions of life from the very beginning to the very end. I think life belongs to God from conception to the time that he takes us out of here. 
I'm not for abortion. I'm not for euthanasia in any way, shape, or form. I, I, I don't have really, and I'll just share with you, I don't have, really have a problem when a Christian person or anybody finally says to the doctors, leave me alone. Just leave me alone. There's a time when that happens. It happened with my own father. With his cancer, they told him. But then they wanted to keep poking him, and they wanted to keep testing him. They wanted to keep doing all this stuff to him. And finally, I told the doctor, you're not going to touch him again. He's done. A few months later, he passed. I don't have any problem with that. I think that's a natural way to do it. But to speed it up, to cause it to happen, that's not our place. That does not belong to us. Life belongs to God. And we need to trust God with it. We suffer. We, we struggle sometimes with people suffering. Why? Wouldn't it be better to put them away? And I've heard people say, so I say, and we do it to dogs, why don't we do it to people? And I'm thinking, well, that tells you where we've gotten. We do it to dogs, so let's do it to people. Do you suppose that somehow God could be glorified in our suffering? You, can, do you suppose that God can see a bigger plan using us for His glory? For things we might not be able to see in the immediate, but on down the road we might be able to see it. We Christians, we're, we're a fickle group. We say, God, however you want to use me, please use me. Then God begins to use us, use us in a way that we don't like. And we say, wait a minute, God, that's not what I meant. We've got to trust God. Because life belongs to God. It's an enemy to us. Death is an enemy to us. And, 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 and it brings us to a place of sadness. It brings us to a place of loss. It brings us to a place of questioning. These ladies were looking for Jesus. And you can see that by, by the reaction. Lord, if you would just been here. If you would have just showed up four days ago. Our brother wouldn't have died. So it brings us to a place of even questioning God. Have you asked, ever asked God why? When death has entered into your life? You have a problem with asking God why? I know some people will tell you never do that. I would never tell you not to do that. Matter of fact, I would, I would encourage you to do it. Here's why. Because if it's in your mind and if it's in your heart, God already knows. It's okay. He's big enough to handle your questions. Now, he may say, if you listen to him, he may say, you know what? That's not for you to know. All I need you to do is trust me. Or he may say, well, here, let me show you a little bit of why. He, God can do all these things. And sometimes he does. Sometimes he shows us a little bit. And other times he says, that's, you'll know when the, when the time is right. And sometimes he may give full revelation. I don't know. But God is big enough to handle those things. And so as they called out to Jesus, Lord, if you had just been here, our brother wouldn't have died. Now, let me, let, me, let me tell you this. That certainly demonstrates a lot of faith on Martha's part. Don't you agree? To make such a statement, even about Jesus. This lady must have truly had some tremendous faith to, to say, you know, just your presence here, Lord, would have made all the difference in the world. Jesus wasn't a doctor. Yet, she believed in Jesus. And you see that as we carry on in the passage here, when we see the promise of God in verse 23. Look at what Jesus said. He said, your brother will rise again. Jesus, God in the flesh, speaking that promise. That's his promise. Your brother will rise again. By the way, I hope you'll grab that promise for yourself. If you are born again, if you have put your faith and trust in Jesus, you can know that you will rise again. 
You can know that you do not have to fear death. You don't, you don't have to, to, to be concerned about what's going to happen when this physical life is over. Because he has already guaranteed that you will rise again. It's a promise of God. And again, people will say, well, what if God's wrong? And I, my response always to that is, if God's wrong, I don't even know what matters. If God can be in error, what matters? Jesus has the power, and Jesus has the authority. Jesus, a little bit later on in his mystery, here's what he's going to say to his disciples. He's going to say, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. That's an incredible statement. All authority. That's the authority over life, the authority over death, the authority over eternity. All of that authority has been given to him. So he can make the statement, you know, if Jesus is not who Jesus is, that he's being, and I can't say this word right, so you'll, you'll help me, he's being pretty presumptuous. Wouldn't you agree? To make such a statement, your brother will rise again. That's not a statement of hope, that's a statement of fact. Tells you something. He knew that, that Lazarus was a, was a man of faith. Plus, he knew that he was able to do that. Now, Martha, her response was, is, is, is I, would, I would say this, her response initially was a theological response. It was a response that she was taught growing up. I don't know. I don't know if she got it. I don't know if at that time if, if girls went to went to the schools and stuff like that. But these were not dumb people. Uh, I know in the synagogues the ladies would sit on the right and, and sit in two different sections from the men. We were told that even when we were over in Israel. So she had some training. She she was taught about the resurrection. You know, by the way, this this tells you that that she was not of the, a follower of the sect which was known as the Sadducees. Okay. Because they did not believe in the resurrection. She was, she was a follower probably of, of the other sect of Judaism. Before she put her faith in Jesus Christ. So she, these, this was an Orthodox Jewish family. And, and she makes a theological statement. Which a lot of times we do. We make theological statements. And I wonder sometimes. We pastors are infamous for doing it. I wonder sometimes when we make the theological statements, if we neglect to put flesh on them. If we neglect to make them real. Okay? So what did she say? She said to Jesus, uh, in this passage, she says, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. That is a theological statement. She believed it. Just like we believe that, there, that we're going to be raised with, with Christ. Okay, But clearly Jesus was talking about something more. Particularly in this case, that he was about to raise Lazarus from being dead right now. But I want you to carry this on to, on to us. Because I believe, and I, let me just throw this out to you. I believe the Bible teaches that when we die physically, Paul tells us to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. But that absent from the body and present with the Lord is not the resurrection. Okay? Again, you read the 15th chapter of 1 Corinthians. Paul gives a great teaching on the resurrection. Because the resurrection is always... By definition, the resurrection is always full body. 
That's why the teachers, these progressive teachers that teach that Jesus rose spiritually, uh, he, he, he was resurrected spiritually, it's called, that, that's double talk. Because to be resurrected means that the body rises. By definition, that's what it means. So you say, Pastor, does that mean our bodies will rise from the, from the grave? And the answer is, yes, they will. In the same way that Jesus. Well, when will that happen? Well, according to Scripture, it will happen when Jesus comes back for his church. That will be, that will be the first group. And now listen, there are not several resurrections. There's only one resurrection. It's Christ's resurrection, and we're a part of it. And Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, he, says, he, he talks about what seems like several different resurrections. But he puts it this way, each in their own order. But it's all Christ's resurrection. Because we know there's going to be a resurrection when the rapture takes place. The dead in Christ will what? Will rise first. Okay. Then we who are alive will be caught up to be with him. Okay. We know that there will be a resurrection. There certainly must be a resurrection, some would say, at the second coming. But if not then, there must be a resurrection after the millennial reign of Christ. And that would be the, if you put it, that would be the end of the, of the quote, resurrection. Because it talks about the righteous will be raised to eternal life. And the unrighteous will be raised to eternal damnation. Now, when he comes back for his church at the, at the rapture, the, the, the damned or the unbelievers will not be raised at that time. Their day will come later on. But my point is this. Paul, if you read the 15th chapter, talks about the resurrections. And he talks about them, if I want to say, in order. And there are not several resurrections. There are one resurrection, but each in their own order is, is what he talks about there. Now, so... Here, in John chapter 11, Jesus is talking about a specific raising of Lazarus, but he's carrying a little bit further. For us to be passed on, we, we don't go to be dead. We go to life. Now, if you have some, some Seventh-day Adventist friends, anybody have some Seventh-day Adventist friends? They believe in what's called soul sleep. That when Christians pass away, they sleep in the grave until... Jesus comes back. Okay? We believe the body goes to the grave and the soul goes to be with Jesus to be reunited at, at the resurrection. Everybody got that? So two di- it's, it's different things. So, so when we say someone has passed on, we really believe that they've stepped from temporal life into eternal life and the day will come when the resurrection will happen for all believers. Okay? Uh, for, for the unbelievers, when they die, they don't go into nothingness. They don't even go into sleep. According to what Jesus said in the Gospel of Luke, that unbelievers are very conscious of where they are. And it's not a wonderful place. Hades is a real place. It's a place of the dead. Okay? And remember what the rich man said to Abraham? He said, my soul is in torment here. And he begged. He said, would you just let Lazarus take the, the end of his finger and dip it in some water and come touch my... Just think about it. Have you ever been... We, we get thirsty here in Arizona. And we, we'll guzzle a bottle of water. Can you imagine being so thirsty that you could possibly think that one drop on someone's finger touching your tongue would bring you some kind of relief? The unbelieving dead are not in a place of unconsciousness. They are very conscious of where they are. And clearly, they're very conscious of why they're there. Because you remember what he, what he said? He said, would you just send 
Lazarus back up to my brothers so that they won't have to be in this place with me. And Jesus' response, even if one was raised from the dead, they would not believe. And he wasn't talking about Lazarus, he's talking about himself. And we find ourselves there. Most people do not believe in God in the way the Bible speaks about believing in God. They believe about God certain things. They believe about Jesus certain things. But to believe in him is foreign to them. And even though Jesus is risen from the dead, even, even, even religious people have learned to, to, to set that aside and make it a, a, a non-issue for their followers. So, when, when we look at, at what happens when someone dies, it's not soul sleep, it's not in unconsciousness. They, are, they know where they're at. For the unbeliever, it's in Hades. For the believer, it's in the, to be absent from the body, to be present with the Lord. So, my friend Garth, my pa- both my parents, my grandparents, they're, they're in the presence of the Lord today. They're seeing things that our minds cannot even imagine. And we all have loved ones that are there. And in a real way, we're all looking forward to that day when, when we can be there. Uh, you know, and most of our response to that would be, I'm, I'm glad I'm going there. I'm just a little bit afraid of how it's going to happen when I, I'm heading there and stuff. Uh, so, it is the reality of eternal life. Okay, so for Lazarus, God, Jesus was about to raise him from the dead. That Lazarus was not resurrected that day. Lazarus was raised from the dead that day because Lazarus died later on. Two different things. Okay, but what Jesus is trying to say to 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 Martha and to the family there, I am the resurrection. I am. I have the power of life and death. So, if you are my follower, you don't have to fear death. I don't want to say this irreverently, but I think we need to get this in our mind. Death is no big deal to Jesus. He's already conquered it. He's not, it's not a, what I'm saying is it's not a continual battle for him. He's not trying to overcome death. He already has overcome death. He is the resurrection and the life. So let's look at those three passages where, where Jesus says this. In, well, actually, the, the, well, the three passages, 25 through 26. Verse 25, he says, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. In this passage, Jesus Christ reveals to Martha particularly, and to those who were standing around listening, more about himself than they, than the, than they could ever know. They knew he was a miracle worker. They'd heard stories of raising the dead. That's why I believe she said, you know, Lord, if you had been here, he wouldn't have died. Okay? But even the stories of those who Jesus had raised from the dead, it was almost an immediate raising. Never had it happened before where someone had actually been in the tomb for four days. Complete confirmation that that Lazarus was dead. So, so even in Martha's faith, she could not comprehend that, that Jesus had such power over life and death that he could raise someone that had been dead for four days. So, in a real way, it, it, never, it, it never even had entered her, her, her ability to comprehend this. And what I'm saying to you is what Jesus said to her initially was, was Jesus was revealing more about himself to her than she could ever conceive. Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. Now we, hopefully we understand that in the bigger scope of the promise of eternal life. But even in this case, he's trying to tell Martha, 
I have the power. In other words, if I want to raise Lazarus from the dead, I'll ra I can raise Lazarus from the dead. Do you and I trust in a Jesus, a Savior, that has that kind of power? Do we believe in a Jesus that, that has such supernatural power that death answers to him? He is the God that's referred to in the scripture in the Old Testament that nothing is impossible with God. He is the God that his son referred to that with man this might seem impossible but with God all things are possible. And he meant that all things are possible. This is an incredible revelation of Jesus. Before his death, before his resurrection, before he ever did it, he claimed it to be so. Now, he can do that because he's God. Be careful of those uh, prosperity people who tell you, you can do that. Just claim it and make it so. You and I don't have the power to do that. Only he can do that. He is the resurrection and the life. That is, that is his revelation of who he is. And I hope that's his revelation of who he is in your life. I hope you have faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Not just as one who died for you, but one who has overcome death and sin for you once and for all. Verse 26, Jesus goes on to say, And whoever lives and believes in me, he shall never die. Do you believe this? What is the result of those who put their faith in Jesus Christ? Does it make any, let me put it this way, does it make any difference that you respond to the call of the Holy Spirit to put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ? And the answer is, it makes all the difference, in, not in the world, in eternity. It makes all the difference. Jesus says, and whoever believes in me, or lives and believes in me, shall never die. And then he asks a question. Some people have asked me, well, why, why do you, why do you, Give people a chance to respond. Because I think Jesus always gave people a chance to respond. Do you believe this? I mean, do you really believe that if you put your trust in me now? Jesus is making this very personal. Do we believe that if we put our trust in Jesus, that though we may physically die, we will live? We will have everlasting life. It's an important question. And then we have the response. Martha's response, Yes, Lord, I believe you are the Christ, the Son of the living God, who has come into the world. Now, before we stop tonight, it's important that you hear what I'm about to say. This is not the only time in the scripture you've heard someone say, Yes, Lord, we believe, or I believe, that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Does it bring some sort of a remembrance to you? Who am I talking about? Peter. Remember at Caesarea Philippi, Jesus gathered his, his apostles. Some of you have been at Caesarea Philippi. Beautiful place. It is the headwaters of the Jordan River. It's a beautiful place to be. And it's there that Jesus said, Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And they've responded with a whole bunch of different responses that people said about him. And then Peter says, after Jesus said, But who do you say that I am? Just like Jesus is saying here, do you believe this? He asked Peter, who do you say that I am? And Peter said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Almost verbatim what Martha says here. Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who has come, in, who has come into the world. Now, 
It doesn't say it here, but recorded for us in Matthew when the occurrence took place with Peter. Who did Jesus give the credit to for Peter making such a statement of faith? Yes, by God. Flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who's in heaven has revealed this to you. Who do you suppose revealed to Martha who Jesus was that day? It's the same thing. It's the exact same question. It's the exact same response because it's the same, exact same God who revealed that truth to her heart. And by the way, when you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, it was the exact same God who revealed that to you also. It's key. It's important. How do we know God? Because He's chose to reveal Himself to us. If He chose not to, we could never know Him. If He chose not to, we could never come to Him. If He chose not to, we could never answer Jesus' question, Do you believe this? We could never answer Jesus' question that He asked the disciples, Who do you say that I am? If not for God's revelation, we would give the same response as the other people in the world. Oh, you, you're a prophet, you're a miracle worker, you're this, that, and the other thing. But only God can reveal the true identity of the Son. Only the Holy Spirit of God moving in us and, and speaking to us can bring us to a place of such belief. No man comes to that on their own. We don't discover God. He reveals himself to us. We can't answer such questions as this. These are questions too far for our mind to ever comprehend. We can't comprehend Jesus is the resurrection and the life on our own. That makes no sense to us. I've had people tell me, your gospel makes no sense to me. Your Jesus died on the cross. What's that mean? Why did he do that? And even when you try to explain to them, they say, that makes no sense to me. And you're, you say your Jesus rose from the dead. What's that mean to me? And you try to tell them what it can mean. And, and to us, we who believe, we go, wow, this is good stuff. Everybody ought to have some of this. And they say, well, I don't, I don't get it. Unless the Lord reveals it, nobody will get it. None of us would have got it. But i got to say this, there's still, there's still a responsibility on our part to acknowledge what the Holy Spirit has revealed to us. Now, I genuinely believe that God gives us the faith to do that also. But it is a genuine response that we make. And it's a genuine response that's required. By faith, we receive the grace that has been given to us by God. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. And we could spend hours, days, the rest of our lives talking about what, what all that means. But in a nutshell, you know what it means? That he has overcome sin and death and hell. And because he's done that, he can offer you and I eternal life. He holds life and death in his hand. He commands it. He's not struggling with it. He's not fighting with it. The battle's not continuing to rage on. He's already taken care of it. And in him, you and I can know eternal life. In him, you and I can know that, that, that this temporal life that we're in is not all there is. In him, I close with this thought, we can go back, as it were, to the garden. And what I mean by that, in Him we can return to the place where we 
where he in us fulfills the very reason that he created us. That we could walk with him, that we could know him, that we can experience him for how long? Forever. That's what it means that Jesus is a resurrection and a life. Would you pray with me? Father, I thank you for this wonderful word. I thank you for the promise that we have and the realization that Jesus Christ is the resurrection and the life. Thank you for allowing us to come together and to, to, to look into your word, to, to consider what this means. And, and Lord, in these few minutes that we've been together, we understand that we cannot fully comprehend and we'll spend the rest of our life discovering this. But thank you for the revelation of that truth. That we do not have to be slaves to sin and we do not have to fear death because you have overcome both of those things. We thank you for that, Jesus. Let us proclaim to the world that which we know to be true. And we know it's true because you said so. And because you did everything that needed to be done that we might know the forgiveness of our sins and eternal life. So use us this week as you choose. Bring those across our path that, that you have an appointment with and give us the words to share with them as your Holy Spirit reveals the truth during those moments together. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.